There was no evidence that governor, that, that uh, Mr. Noriega was involved in drugs, no hard evidence until we indicted him. Does the NSA collect any type of data at all on millions or hundreds of millions of Americans? No, sir. It does not. Not wittingly. Have we ever tried to meddle in other countries' elections? Oh, probably, but uh, it was for the good of the system. Oh, we don't mess around other people's well, elections, yeah. Mm, nom, 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 nom. All right, welcome to the latest episode of the Rackets Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sadie, and I have the, the great pleasure of introducing a really fascinating guest. Um, his name is Dave Moore. He's an independent co- uh, candidate for Congress in the Third uh, Congressional District of South Carolina. How's it going, Dave? Uh, pretty good. And I'm third party, uh, American Party South Carolina. It's basically independent, yes, but you know. What is the name of the party? American Party South Carolina. Okay, very good. Thank you. Thank you for pointing that out. Um, you seem to have a, a, a pretty diverse. Um, array of, of political opinions. If I had to basically summarize from from what I've looked at your platform, I would say it's devoid of financial conflicts of interest. But if you would, you know, we're going to get into the issues um, in a bit. But it, it, could you maybe just give us kind of a you know a little brief bit of background on your you know your sort of ideology or? Yeah, I mean, I um, I'm 65. And so I've been around a while, and I've seen the parties devolve. It's I'm a mishmash. I think like a lot of Americans are. It's, you know, one could call me, you know, a Jim Webb Democrat, uh, an Eisenhower Republican, because, I mean, you, you look at the marginal tax rate. I mean, you know, when you go through my website, you will see a lot of things that, uh, you know, mimic Eisenhower. And I give credit where credit is due. And I think a lot of Americans, I mean, you know, what is right wing, left wing, you know, conservative, liberal? Mm-hmm. Um, I could be very liberal on, you know, like education mm-hmm. and such and, uh, you know, individual rights. But what one would now say with that, I'm very conservative in other issues. Um, I can be very libertarian. You know, for instance, mm-hmm. I oppose the drug war and, you know, looking for prison reform. So I, I think... You know, when you actually speak to, I would say, the majority of Americans, and that's what the American Party is, they they don't really have, like, this sort of corporate or one specific outlook. Um, You know, there are people that run the full gamut. Um, And actually, it it was started by a, a Democrat and a Republican, and what they're looking for is, one was a football coach in, in college also. And, you know, so we're, we're looking for the people between both 30-yard lines. Okay. <laughs> you know? That's a good you know, We're not looking for yeah. extreme left or extreme right or anybody that's got, you know, uh, you know just a, a one-note Johnny on, you know, it's like if, if they're interested in only one topic or something, then, you know, it, it's like, well, <laughs> you know, don't bother voting for me because I'm just – you know, not making that my big thing. Right. No, I think that's a great analogy, actually. Yeah, and, and and that's how I would describe you. I mean, just from the outside looking in, pretty, pretty moderate. You have an array of ideas. Personally, I love that. That's why I wanted to get you on the show. I'm sick and tired of, you know, really these cookie-cutter 
candidates, if they're a Republican, they just go right down the list. They, they do what they're told, or at least what their donors tell them they're supposed to do, and it's the same thing no, on exactly. the left. Um, and nobody really thinks for themselves. When, and I really don't believe that those people really have those views. I think that most people do have a, a diverse viewpoint and look at uh, issues independently. In fact, um, you know, most polls show that, that you know, the, the average American voter is, is completely upset with both parties and they have a, a basically a pretty independent view. Um, well, you know, it's, yeah. And the, the thing is, you know, people call it a broken, I disagree with a lot where, you know, people say it's a broken system. And I remind them, and I did that in my convention speech, I said it's not broken for them. They bring in, they rake in a billion dollars a year, both parties, Democrat and Republican. And it's over 90% of, you know, corporate. And Bill Clinton mm -hmm. turned it, you know, to Wall Street and, you know, away from the bread and butter of the Democratic Party. But yet you look at them, um, you know, they go back and forth. They, they go into the DNC. They become a lobbyist. And, you know, this, this billion dollars pays for this whole, you know, army of consultants and people who don't know what they're talking about and, you know, these uh, so-called Cato Institute or what have you that just, you know, mimic and say, oh, yes, so-and-so is correct. This is what we need to do. And like I said, you know, it works pretty good for them. Right, <laughs> you know? right. them being the, the uh, and again, it's part of what the, the title of the podcast is. It's Racket. So I, I'm looking yeah, at the, yeah, exactly. the Capitol Hill, and, and that's one of the biggest rackets out there. And all of the I mean, yeah, like your three industries. books. <laughs> Yeah, like your three books. I mean, you know, pick a topic. It's like, you know, they're in the pocket. They're just a sock puppet for somebody there. And, you know, they're going to mimic that, and then they're going to be taken care of later on. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's a system where you you make, I think, it's like roughly a little under 200 grand in Congress, and then, but the real payday is when you go become a lobbyist, or like you say, a consultant, oh, yeah. or you go work in the private sector and use that to leverage that all of those different relationships uh, oh, yeah. and to benefit a small few versus the, the general public. So, okay, so I guess the one thing, um, the first thing that I'm really wondering is, was there maybe like a singular incident that, that motivated you to run for Congress? I know that you've obviously been very yeah. uh, fascinated in all of these types of topics, but what was it that pushed you to, to make yeah, this the epiphanous moment, okay. the burning bush. <laughs> um, it, the, the thing was, QTC Medical Services, I'm a, a veteran, Vietnam veteran, and I do have some disabilities from Vietnam. And, you know, one of the biggest problems, there's a great book, Waiting for an Army to Die. But, um, you know, everybody says, deny, deny, I hope you die. There, there's a real problem where you have real doctors you go to and they say, oh, he has a kidney condition or this or that. That's recognized by the VA. And so the VA then contracts out to a group. Uh, they get two-thirds of it, about $6 billion a year, QTC Medical Services, which is now part of Lockheed Martin, oh. which is very convenient, which is also the largest um, $36, $40 billion a year in government contracts. Mm -hmm. But QTC was known as just, um, you know, flat deny. And the thing was, I wrote to Jeff Duncan, and I told him, look, you know, I was a victim of QTC Medical. And actually what happened, I'm, I'm going to do a, a um, you know, a, a Facebook Live on it and have the documents there. 
QTC called me, and all it was was just a simple blood test, and it would have showed that I had this issue. And I, you know, I don't want to say it, but uh, anyway, the guy just either is a quack or because he just wanted to deny it. Um, and I'm going to have his name because I'm going to have the documents, but I won't put it on your show. Okay. But at any rate, so you know, the, the VA didn't quite know what to do, you know. And so I wrote to the Virginia Medical Board, and I said, look, this guy's a quack. You know, what the hell? You know, people are being victimized by this, and he shouldn't be allowed to be doing this. Well, the, the medical board wrote back to me and said, we don't want to get involved. Hmm. So I wrote to, to the IG or the general counsel, I can't remember, of the VA. Now, you would think, you know, they're supposed to be protecting Right, that, that's supposed to be the independent party, right, that's yeah, you know. this. Against any kind yeah, of conflict you know. of interest or any sort of corruption. Yeah, and I wrote to them and I showed it and said, look, you know, this, this guy should not be, you know, reviewing cases of veterans. You know, this is this is just total quackery or, or whatever. But, you know, he's victimizing people and costing a lot of money, too. Right. And what did they do? They sent me a letter back and said, you need to get a private attorney. Wow. You know, that was the IG, but at any rate, the IG responded that way? That was in the 90s. And yeah. yeah. And so anyway, I wrote to Duncan and said, this has been going on a long time. You're reviewing 400,000 cases of QTC medical, and they were paying them $400 a case, and they were supposed to be spending one hour on each case. They were spending five minutes. Yeah. And so, you know, they were going to have this. And I said, look, th these people have been doing this for 20 years. There's actually on my website, you can see my interview on QTC Medical about this. And Duncan took it, like he took real offense, you know, and he, his spokesman said, no, Dave Moore's lying. And it's like, I got the emails. And when I called his office, the girl answered the phone and said, well, either he'll answer you or he won't. And she hung up on me. So I mean, that, you that's know, your tax so hours you, of work right there. <laughs> yeah, and so you talk about that. That's a pretty heavy epiphanous moment. It's like, wait a minute, you know, because he never served, and he wants to call himself a conservative, and that's where I'm conservative. Everybody in my family has served right. since the revolution on, even the women. Right. We deserve better, and if I just may, just do a little side joint here. My Please. grandfather my grandfather was badly wounded in World War One and that's on my website. And he was charged for his bandages. He was a Marine. Hmm. And this depended where you were sent to and he languished for a couple of years. And so he co founded the Disabled American Veterans. It's like, no, we deserve better. Right. And I still have his D A V post number one uniform. Hmm. And anyway, you know, we're kind of back to those days when the IG wrote back to me and said, you're on your own, dude. Right. You know, why don't you get an attorney? I'm not going to investigate fraud. Right. You know, and yeah. so anyway, you know, that's why I say, you know, I'm, I'm pretty angry about it. And I'm sure it comes through. <laughs> you know? yeah, and it was like, justifiably no, I, so. Unjustifiably and, so. you know, I want everybody to know. And it's like Duncan wins 80 to 20 percent every election cycle. He gets a million dollars. A cycle um he doesn't even need to try and it shows right right you know he seems so that's to be, why that's my moment yeah he seems to be um a lot and again you mentioned he didn't serve um one one thing i always like to point to uh, ron paul always pointed out that you know yeah. That, that, that some of the big his biggest supporters were former army veterans. There's this sort of uh, nexus where 
a lot of folks who didn't serve, they're these, these war hawks, yet they're, they're <laughs> always handing off the money for the big corporations. But then when it comes to things like reforming the VA, nothing really ever gets done. It's, it's very big on the yeah. talk to get us into war, but then afterwards, you know. Yeah, uh, like John Bolton and Cheney. And by the way, there's a, uh, you can Google it, Chicken Hawk Database of a New Hampshire Gazette. And that's what they're known as, chicken hawks. Yep. And it has all these people listed and how many deferments they, <laughs> they filed. <laughs> like our, like our, current, and, uh, our current president. Again, oh, yeah. guy, oh, yeah. the like, VA was one of his big campaign um, issues. And uh, there was a report recently just talking about how um, whistleblower retaliation, there, there's been nothing really done to correct any of the, the actual, because there's, there's a lot of whistleblower retaliation within that agency. Oh, yeah. Um, as you, as you can obviously infer, and you probably know <laughs> firsthand. Um. <laughs> yeah. I was even one myself on a much lower scale, but yeah, I mean, you know, you, you try and bring an issue up and, you know, they kill the messenger every right. time. Okay. Well, just to kind of backtrack, um, for the listeners, you mentioned the name um, Jeff Duncan. He's the incumbent in your in your district um, there. Yes. One thing that I that I came across that I, that I found really interesting when I just looked up his record, according to uh, GovTrack.org, he is actually the most right wing member of the House. Yeah. The absolute extreme, not not towards it, the absolute most extreme yeah. member um, in the House. Uh, whereas again, your platform, you're, you're, you're a pretty, uh, moderate guy. I would definitely say, um, so defense is definitely one of the issues that he attaches himself to. My question would be, and again, you're alluding to it already, you know, how, how do you differ on, on the issue of defense? Well, I mean, you know, you can also look at, I mean, you know, he and the Republican party get, you know, quite a bit of money from, you know, the defense industry, what, of Absolutely. course, Eisenhower warned us about right. 80 years, 70 years ago. Right. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, a general warning us. Right. But, um, and president. But you can, you can take a look. You know, we spend as much money as the top, whatever, 12 or 15, uh, China, Russia, you know, and that. And it, it's combined. really quite combined, a... Combined, right? Yeah, yeah, combined. <laughs> it's, it's quite a con on us. And if you look at... Russia, you know, they're, I, just as an example, you know, they're, um, uh, how much they spend is like one-tenth. But they, because they don't have that corruption of, you know, buying congressmen, and like the F-35 can't fly it in the rain, it's killed a number of pilots, one and a half trillion dollars so far. And, keep, and, and the it, thing and the still doesn't keeps, work. And the, and the funding keeps going. Yeah, and well. you know they 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 just oh you know just another five hundred billion and and we'll fix it, but yet Russia doesn't have that problem. Any other countries don't, you know, and so they develop what they need, like like an aircraft carrier supersonic missile, <laughs> you know, that can that can down an aircraft carrier, and they had a war game, um, you know, a NATO war game. And Russia actually beat the NATO forces, and here they're just buying hand over fist, you right. know, right. weapons from us. And it's like, we haven't won a war in God knows how many decades, mm -hmm. and, you know, we're, we're going bankrupt over, over the, I mean, Ron Paul, I, I just totally agree with him on so many things, you know, we, we can't afford this. And it's such a corrupting influence now 
of all these systems that don't work and cost us billions and billions. And one F-22, just one, uh, is the same cost as manning and equipping an entire division of 15,000 men and women. Right. So, I mean, you know, at, we only have 33 combat brigades, and we're, you know, we're running these guys into the ground, right. you know, with this high tempo. And that's what I mean. Duncan and the others are like, yes, we need to go to Syria. Yes, we need to bomb Yemen. Yes, we need to do this and that. Well, I don't see your kids out there, right. you know. So, basically, to sum up, overly succinct, you have a very non-interventionist uh, view as far as foreign policy, it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, just like the founding fathers, <laughs> you know. <laughs> We should not be going abroad and, you know, in search of monsters to destroy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we really should, you know, it's like trade with all, but, you know, we don't get involved in other people's wars. And, you know, we've just gotten so far afield of that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, again, what's really fueling it, it, it is that military-industrial complex. It is that revolving door from these high-level military officials. They go into the private sector Oh, yeah. Um, and I, I read a, a pretty interesting example on your website um, related to Jim Comey. If you don't mind, would you just yeah. kind of, would you expand upon that? It's a really interesting example. Well, I mean, people forget about him. And, oh, I got attacked, you know, a couple of times over, over that. And I said, hey, you know, the guy doesn't make it. Comey doesn't make a secret of what he did. You know, I'm not pulling this out of a hat. Right, right. But, you know. He was a U.S. attorney, and uh, Lockheed Martin, you know, one of their dozens of um, offenses, and, you know, a criminal offense. Pick and choose. You can throw a dart. Yeah, you know, it's like, who knows which one. But um, at any rate, he worked out, pay the usual, pay one-tenth of your ill-gotten gains, and we give you a deferred prosecution. And, And again, I don't understand how you have, you know, 85 deferred prosecutions. Yeah, usually it's one, you know, then you go to jail, like parole or something. But uh, that's for a a regular person in the population. Totally different rules for the the, for the corporate. Yeah, you know, oh, it's a two tier justice system. But at any rate, so less than a year later, he's the general counsel for Lockheed Martin. (laughs) You know, for five years, and he worked out while he was there, again, the same thing, a deferred prosecution, pay a fine. Right, right. And, you know, he likes to pull that Huck Finn, oh, gosh, stuff. Right. You know, and, you know, me and my my tattered, my wife's tattered coat, you know, and, you know, the pumpkin speech or, you know, checkers speech. And it's like, but he didn't tell people he had $11 million, you know. Right. He got $8 million or something from uh, Lockheed Martin as general counsel, and he got like $3 million from a hedge fund. Yeah. And, you know, so he goes back and says, well, I, I'm just going to have to take a real cut and pay here, 180000 a year, and I'll serve my country, you know. And it's like, you got $11 million. Right, and it's yeah, I'll never see him. it. It's not, and it, again, it's yeah. not really just a single him out, but it's a, it's oh, a perfect example. Oh, he's a small example. player, yeah. Right. <laughs> there, so, that is, that basically is the standing operating procedure in, in D.C. Exactly. You get you get that gig, and then you go move on to the private sector, protecting these corporate criminals who do that for a while. Then you go back into the government, and you keep bouncing back and forth, 
uh, you know, in, well, increasing your value in the private sector. Yeah, well, they got to relearn those federal laws. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Violate the, you know, a number of laws got passed, so they have to come back in and kind of, you know, work in the sector again so they could know how to cheat it. Right, right. There's one thing I, I did want to talk to you about that I, that I found particularly interesting. I think it touches upon a couple of um, a couple of things in your platform. Um, Jeff Duncan, he's sponsoring a bill. Um, I don't remember the exact wording, but it's basically called the the Hezbollah Prevention Act. I I, re- I read it. Yeah. Basically, and what it is for the listeners, um, it's something to where they're started. They want to sort of coordinate with the State Department to try and deter any sort of terrorist activities um, that Hezbollah is involved in. You know, they're involved in a lot of different sort of black market crimes, such as um, illegal uh, contraband cigarettes, you know, bootleg cigarettes, drug trafficking, etc. And, and my point, and I think it sort of blends with your viewpoint, is that the best way to fight that is actually to end the drug war. Let's take away the whole black market um, oh, in totally. Ge- yeah. In general, there was um, there was a recent report by um, the Counter Extremism Project and a group called Asymmetrica. They estimated in the uh, tri-border region, um, which is um, where Brazil, Argentina, and Paraguay borders. It's basically like this this smuggler's paradise. And their estimate was that there's forty three billion dollars in illegal profits, and a whole lot of that. Um, benefits Hezbollah. They've got, they've got, you know, a lot of operatives in that region of the world. And again, it just gets back to my original point that if we can... Probably the bulk goes for bribes. What's that? Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. But I mean, probably the bulk of that goes for bribes. Yes. Oh yeah. And and there's just all kinds that, that particular area, it's, it's a money laundering haven, um, a lot of counterfeit goods. Again, the uh, bootleg cigarettes, that's where actually, um, a lot of that actually has to do with the um, the lame duck president in Paraguay, a guy called um, Horatio Cartes. He actually owns the cigarette company that is the main producer of those bootleg cigarettes um, throughout Latin America. In other words, the taxes are super low in Paraguay, and they're much higher in these other Latin American countries. And they all get they get smuggled in. Groups like Hezbollah and different cartels they make a ton of money off of this stuff. Uh, but again. Really, the biggest driver of all that money is the is the drug war. Um, and there was um, one other thing just to point out to the listeners. There was a, a recent uh, report in, um, I think it was a, I can't remember, a Politico, they did it. It was reporting on uh, a project by the uh, by the DA called Project Cassandra. And it had to do with... Um, <laughs> that was a good name. <laughs> right. Uh, with um, tons of cocaine that was trafficked by Hezbollah with different you know, Latin American cartels. But again, it gets back to that they're making a ton of money off of this stuff. But again, it wouldn't even be possible. The best way to take away their funding is to end the war on drugs. So again, I was just kind of... I know that you're anti-drug war, but uh, for the listeners, if you could just maybe you know expand a little bit about your thoughts... Um, you know, what, what you would like to do as far as drug policy. Yeah. I mean, you know, the interesting thing about, you know, prohibition and, you know, alcohol prohibition was it was the St. Valentine's Day massacre was the actual event that was the real catalyst. And people said, for God's sake, you know, this isn't working. Mm-hmm. And it took a lot. Actually, the Midwest really fought the lifting of prohibition. 
But, you know, once Prohibition got lifted, I mean, all these guys like Al Capone, it just disappeared overnight. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and the murder, it's not the murder to say that, dropped significantly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then, you know, you know, politicians and such couldn't get their bribes anymore. <laughs> so, you, you know, it's like they had to go live like the rest of us. But it's, it's we know what works, you know, and, and that's the maddening thing about it. But again, when I say it's like you always have to look at it from their standpoint, you know, it's not working for us, but it's working for them. Right. Them meaning and, the. Those on Capitol yeah. Hill, um, yeah. You know, look down in Mexico. I mean, 30,000 are being murdered a year. Mm -hmm. And you would think that would tell – there, there's an excellent book, Kings of Cocaine, how Colombia was completely ruined. The, the people who really tried – what was so sad about it was that the, the people who really tried to do something about it and couldn't be bought, they were murdered. That's what happens. Well, I mean, you know, it, it's the, still the, very the much – uh, the Pomo of Plata. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, and, you it's know, throughout. it's like, okay. yeah, and I mean, you know, there's so much money to be made. You know, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if somebody whacked me. You know, I mean, it's like, <laughs> you know, if I actually had a platform right. and, you know, not trying to be melodramatic about it. But, right. you know, when you're cutting into somebody, people get shot for no reason. Right. You know, $10 million is a. 10 million reasons, you know, well, to, you know, to shoot somebody. But, you know, they, they allow it to happen. It's like people know about Hamid Karzai and his brother. Right. Afghanistan's a narco state. Absolutely. And, you know, and the Taliban, you know, we, we got that all going to overthrow the, the communist-supported secular government. And the Taliban then got rid of, you know, 95% of opium production. And now it's, it's way above that and, you know, way above any pre-war level. And, I mean, you know, we're very selective in, in you know, who we want to go after. Right, and, absolutely. And look at the, I forget which bank, I don't want to say which one, but if you remember, what was it, 100 million or, or billions uh, laundering for, you know, well, the most you're gonna have, that's Mexican another country. one where you can throw the dart against the wall. You're probably thinking HSBC. I mean, that's HSBC, the, that's the yeah. biggest one. I mean, they, they literally received um, wiretap information over, you know, listening to cartel members in Mexico saying that their bank was the favored bank. I mean, there, there's so much evidence yeah. against them. Nobody went to prison. Uh, they paid a fine. Yeah, they paid a fine. <laughs> like, again, 10% of their, but yet, let's, let's go after. You know, every nitwit with a, a rock of, well, now Sessions and Trump are talking about we need to kill, execute, you know, meth, people who um, smoke right. and, and deal small amounts of meth. And it's like, well, what about child murderers, <laughs> <laughs> pedophiles and murderers, you know, rapist murderers? What, what about that? You know, I mean, again, it, it's like the, you know, this hyperventilating, you know, out of these people but yet it's it's to me I, I'm like just rolling my eyes you know it's like well what about the people who really do us harm <laughs> you know? right. uh, one of the things I read your your thesis I, f I forget the exact title but it's really the same thing well that you tribal soldiers of Vietnam is the, the the book on Amazon it had a different oh uh, okay okay that's that, that, I that, mean the that thesis was case that was a case studies that had you know the usual long <laughs> So I just shortened it, Tribal Soldiers of Vietnam, gotcha. and then, you know, did a print-on-demand, and it's on Amazon with that. So anyway. Oh, okay. 
Um, but one of the things that I, I've skimmed it over, um, but one of the things you point to in the book, and it's something you, you just um, alluded to earlier, you referenced some of Alfred McCoy's work. He's, in my, in my opinion, he's really the first author who really pointed out the, the, there's so many lies in the drug war, but the biggest lie, meaning that the U.S. government basically been in bed with some of the biggest drug dealers on the planet. Oh, yeah. You mentioned Hamid Karzai. Yeah, Doug uh, Valentine wrote a great book on that. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. And Alfred McCoy, Doug Valentine, and yeah, you know, about the whole drug war, you know, at the initial beginnings, yes. Absolutely. And it's it's not like a one-time thing. This has been going on for decades. Oh, um, yeah. You, uh, you linked on your, your Facebook um, a story. It's, it's a guy who I'm... It's definitely been on my radar about a guy named Haji Juma Khan. I think I'm pronouncing it right. Oh, yeah. Um, He uh, was one of the biggest drug traffickers in Afghanistan. Uh, One of the things they didn't mention in the article, I've read a little bit about him in my own book, um, but he was actually captured in 2001 by U.S. forces. He was released. Then, again, he was already a, a very big um, drug trafficker. His empire <laughs> grows. Meanwhile, he's on the CIA and DEA's payroll because he's, you know, he's providing information. And he stayed that way for about seven years, and he, he flew back to the U.S. a couple times, um, you know, provided information on their enemies. But once he was no longer useful, that's when they threw him in prison. But here's where the story gets interesting. That was about 2008-ish, if I remember, when he was thrown in prison. He was, and now I'm referring to the story on your on your Facebook page. He was yeah. just released, very quietly <laughs> released. <laughs> Again, yeah. this person that they made this big hoopla, they captured, you know, the king, the opium king, quietly yeah. released by the U.S. government. <laughs> yeah, the one poisoning our children, you know. <laughs> And it gets gets back to basically my point that, like what I'm talking about with Project Cassandra there, how the drug war in many ways, it's really just sort of this bargaining chip in geopolitics. Um, And and there's, you mentioned Karzai's brother, and he was very helpful in our war effort over there, but he was also a major drug trafficker, as was, you know, really most of Karzai's inner circle. Meanwhile, many of them were on the U.S. government's payroll. When they, when they had these very sort of very conflicting roles, you know, they're helping the war effort, but they're also funding the the opioid epidemic that that's killing so many people. Yeah, you could talk to any Afghan vet, just about any, and they were told, you know, they walked through the opium fields and they were told, you know, you do not touch these things because we don't want to, you know, get this guy angry and you know he's going to start throwing mortars into our base camp. Right. You know people come back like that you know i mean it's it's you can come back with stories i mean when i was in vietnam what mccoy was writing he has the photographs in his book it was these little um i think it was a gram of heroin something like that and it was these very well manufactured little plastic see-through capsules and that's what all of it came in you know whatever anybody bought it wasn't in a in an envelope or plastic bag or whatever, it was in these things, you know. So, I mean, you know, obviously they had, you know, they had a production house somewhere 
know, like a Coke bottling plant. You know, it's right. like. And meanwhile, but know, these drop- were the people who who are intelligent officials who are hip to hip with, who were training and looking the other yeah. way, and in, in some cases even flying out on Air America aircraft <laughs> using their aircraft. Yeah, and the, you know the top Viet- South Vietnamese officials. Right. But you know it worked on both sides, and in the first Indochina War, um, they noted that all of the the Viet Minh, the the North Vietnamese um, uh, invasions, all happened during opium harvest season, <laughs> and so they were trying to get as much opium as possible. And it's it's actually in my book, and and uh, uh, Alfred McCoy actually said I think it was like a ton of opium. Uh, would outfit an entire Viet Minh division. Right. And so the French were trying to, you know, that's how they got involved in the, the opium trade themselves, trying to deny it, and, you know, using the Corsican Mafia. And actually, um, Dien Bien Phu was supposed to be, a, you know, their mooring point to go out and disrupt, you know, the Viet Minh from collecting the opium. I mean, it's actually still classified what DNB and Fu, the the reason and you know what else they were trying to do at DNB and Fu is actually still classified. But at any rate, you know, yeah, it's it's both sides use it. I mean, it's um, guns, drugs, and antiquities are the top three for you know black market illegal where you're going to get hundreds of millions of dollars. Right, those right. are the top three. Yeah, in many ways, basically, our government is just sort of. Uh, managing who who is getting to control those black market resources. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 We want our friends to get it. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, I, um, there's a quote, I'm going to paraphrase it. I don't remember which, which general said it, but he goes, up in these hills, opium is currency. You know, that, that, yeah. that and that is the way of life. And, and there's, there's multiple ways of looking at it. And again, I get it. You have these, these different agencies with extremely different, missions you know the cia they, they got to go win the war so they're going to do that but what's just so awful is that okay i get that but we can't have this war on drugs and still you know and still be locking people up when we know that this is all a lie you know <laughs> oh no i mean yeah the hypocrisy of it is just it's stunning i think sometimes people just want to run away and scream you know it's like it's it's overload of information but you know what motivates me is you know people have said well you're just one person. What are you going to do? I said, I'm not going to shut up. Right. Absolutely. I mean, if, if I'm elected to Congress, right. it's every day I get to talk in the well, and I'm going to bring up the most uncomfortable crap that anybody can. And I am just going to podcast right on and on and on and, you know, get Congressional Research Service to do reports. So I, I think one person can, you know, sort of ignite a bonfire, uh, but I could only do it for you know, two years, I mean, you know, especially at my age, but I, I think, you know, nobody would want to hang around for that long. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, you know, it's like, uh, I mean, you know, I have a permit to carry, and, you know, I'd have to have one up there, too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, you know, I like to go to restaurants and eat, you know, and I, I don't want to always, you know, be looking at the door. <laughs> well, and it's something you mentioned earlier, and you were saying, it right, again, not to be melodramatic, you know, because in the United States, you know, politicians, for the m- most part, are extremely safe, but there's actually um, a really alarming um, study came out 
about a month ago down in Mexico, there's a there's an election season, and there have literally been, but about 90 um, candidates have been murdered in Mexico. And again, it's almost entirely oh, yeah. connected to organized crime. You know, and we're not in that. And journalists and, yeah. yeah no, but know, I'm, no, I'm just, who, well, yeah. them as well, but yeah, but 90 um, uh, hopeful public officials murdered. Yeah. And, and that's within a year's time. I mean, it, it's just stunning, you know, how different that is across the border. And it's, most of those problems are, dire- mm-hmm. d- you know, directly related to our drug prohibition. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, it is. And, you know, we're forcing them. I mean, Mexico wanted to uh, decriminalize weed. Oh, come on, you know. And we just came down like a ton of bricks on them over that. And what is it, Uruguay or Paraguay wanted to? um, I mean, there's a difference between legalize and and decriminalize, you know. But, you know, either one is fine by me, you know. Well, Uruguay actually has has legalized it. it. and for the most part, it's been a, a pretty positive thing for them. What one of, one of the things that really has harmed their country, and it's a low-violence country, but some of it is the spillover from uh, drug war-related crime from Colombia that comes across their border there. It's, it's, really, yeah. it's really awful stuff. One of the things I wanted to touch upon, because, again, you're pointing to the hypocrisy of the drug war, and there's a bill Bernie Sanders is sponsoring, and I don't remember – yeah, no, yeah. Opioid manufacturers accountability, accountability bill, something like that. Yeah, right. it doesn't have a, a co-sponsor. As far as I know, it doesn't have a companion bill um, in the house. It has three co-sponsors. Really. <laughs> so far, yeah, just no success. And the thing is, and we all know that Bernie, he's very strong as far as holding the you know you know corporate criminals accountable. This bill, you know, for people who aren't familiar, it's it's a very much a compromise bill. It's a you know, he's not even talking about criminal penalties. He's just talking about, you know, a higher accountability as far as fines and regulation. And, again, it basically has no chance so far of passing. You know, reading between the lines, is that if you were elected, is that something that you would like to support on the House side? Well, actually, um, I would have to say no because um, I find it a con and, you know, this whole opioid crisis, 400,000, I mean, if people are really worried about, you know, oh, Americans are dying because of this, 400,000 die from cigarettes, 100,000 from alcohol, you know, and you go down the list. And, you know, opioids and such, uh, they've created a chaotic mess with all of that. There are people who need you know, opioids, but again, the, the cannabis with the CBD, you take the THC out and CBD, it can't, um, it, it can't help everybody with a certain type of pain. You know, it helps like children with MS and, and such. You know, it's not a panacea for everybody for, you know, certain types of pain. Uh, you know, we, we, my wife and I have watched a number of specials on TV, you know, and, and people suddenly get up and walk you know, after taking two puffs. And, you know, I mean, but yet, and actually, I mean, if, if these so-called Republican, um, you know, right-wingers look at under Nixon, the Schaefer Commission, appointed by Nixon, Schaefer was a Republican governor, and they got all the doctors and everybody, and he said, oh, it's, it's actually medicinal and it doesn't harm anybody, you know, zero overdoses and such. But Nixon, I mean, you know, this is all well known. Nixon, 
you know, because of the anti-war stuff, he wanted to be able to go after, you know, Black Panthers and such. And the college kids who were the pretense, right? Use the drug. Yeah, and so he said, you know, well, to hell with it. And you know, it's like I don't care what they said. You know, I this is what I want to do. And I mean, you know, you can go right back to the Schaefer Commission, and I mean, you know, this is not just you know somebody sprinkling twinkle dust over a you know, a report and say, hey, sounds good to me. I mean, you know, these are doctors and lawyers and such who really, you know, put the effort in to study it. And, you know, we're not going to fund this. And, you know, as a vet who suffered from PTSD, it's anecdotal about, you know, cannabis, certain types of cannabis, and even ecstasy. And, you know, it's like, well, let's find out. Right. You know, let's let's stop jerking her. I mean, twenty-two vets are committing suicide a day. Right. Why don't we find out what let's, let's, works? Let's not block the research. If you say that, yeah, it's, I mean, if it's bunk, let let's let let's let let's stop blocking you know clinical research and just allow it to happen and let's see let's see how that how that goes. Yeah, and actually, Israel is leading the world in cannabis research, oh, and yeah. Um, yeah. And they have particular strains for particular diseases. This isn't coming out of, you know, Kathmandu or something. Yeah, these are legitimate doctors who are, you know, doing clinical trials. And, you know, they were showing their patients and stuff and, you know, doing actual clinical trials. And the guy said, you know, I can watch this. I give this guy the placebo, nothing's happening. And I'm giving the guy the real one and they're walking around. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, there's other countries, but it's, again, as long as Big Pharma is, you know, as long as everybody's a sock puppet up there, the 435 congressmen and 100 senators are taking money from Big Pharma, the party leaders, you know, you see Feinstein and, uh, you know, one would think better out of a Democrat, so to say, but um, Feinstein and uh, Pelosi are just totally opposed to, you know, all of that because, you know, hey, it's working for them. Absolutely. You know? Both parties, exactly. Big Pharma has fought this stuff tooth and nail, even though there are several, um, you know, pharmaceutical companies that are putting patents on cannabis medicine. Uh, if they can monopolize the market, that's the only way that they want that. They want that. Yeah, the cannabinoid, the CBD. Yeah, right. uh, through hemp. Again, it's, it's unfortunate. It's a trial and error with a lot of people who try, you know, cannabis, medical, you know, marijuana and cannabis and and, you know, some shops are good at it, and, and so, I mean, this is what I understand, you know, I mean, however, if you were to go to Israel, <laughs> you'd get some real science. Right, we're, you know, we're decades them. behind the curve on that one. You mentioned it, Big Pharma, it's definitely another one of the, um, one of your issues. Maybe, um, you know, tell the listeners a little bit about your thoughts about what you would like to do to sort of combat or, or you know, point out some of the problems of Big Pharma. Um. You know, there there are two laws that are already on the books. 85% of drugs are produced at our expense, but we're not, you know, a socialist country, so we don't have our own, you know, drug manufacturing, you know, building company, what have you, that would produce at cost and then give it to Americans, which I think Americans would like that part of socialism. It <laughs> does. Pulling, that seems to be pretty popular, right? Yeah. But, I mean, they give the patent to Congress, and Congress votes who they're going to give the patent to. You know, do they give it to Milan or, or 
you know, Merrick, or who are they going to give it to? So now you see, oh, that's why these guys go work for Big Pharma after they're a congressman. Because, you know, they're the ones who arranged for this $10 billion drug to go to that company. So it's like, well, you know, I want my $10 million a year job, you know, in exchange for that. But at any rate, even there's plenty of doctors I talk about. They don't know about the, the revoking of a patent and that Congress could actually, and let's just say EpiPen, you know, mm-hmm. which costs $5 to produce, but they sell it for four or $500 and is a life-saving drug. And that's right. what actually the revocation of patent and margin rights is the other law. They exist specifically for that. Like if something is a life-saving drug, and, you know, people are just gouging on it, then, you know, we actually have the legal right, you know, and I would say obligation to go in and take it away and then just give the patent to the world and say whoever wants to make it, make it, and, you know, people can pick, like buying soap or deodorant. you got ten different varieties of this stuff. It's like with Mylanta, I mean, you know, they're not even saying, look, uh, with the EpiPen, they're, they're not even saying, look, you know, you lower this down to $30 and we'll, we'll let you keep the patent. Right, not even negotiating, not even using the threat yeah. not as yeah, a negotiating okay. ploy. Yeah, you know, I mean, they, they don't even have the guts to get up and say that. I'm not and aware I mean, of, oh, go ahead. No, no, but I'm just saying, you know, if, if I were elected to Congress, again, I wouldn't shut up. Right. You know, you I mean, I would be every day about, come on, guys, get off it. Mm-hmm. And let's start with EpiPen because it's children yeah. that it's used for. And, you know, bee stings and stuff. And it's, you know, quit being so damn corrupt. It's right. like we tell them 30 bucks or we take it back and, you know, anybody can make it. And, I mean, I just wouldn't shut up until, you know, they, they would finally do it. The dam would burst. Right. You know, but I'm saying, you know, maybe that's a fantasy, but, you know, either way, like I said, somebody has to get up and say it. Somebody at least yeah. needs to fight that fight. I don't really know of too many instances in which the government has used um, that power. Do you do you know of any off the top of your head? No, I don't. It's been uh, the laws were actually one of those laws was enacted in the 60s as sort of a you know, sort of a secondary, like, alarm bell, or, again, to, you know, to use as sort of a hammer about, hey, knock it off. But this is really quite a new phenomenon where somebody is buying now patents, and um, they're going in and buying the patent, and uh, then, like, Screlly, you know, up in the 1,600%. And, you know, now it's it's like it's a gold rush now because if you notice, a lot of drugs have gone up um, there was uh, one Reslamed. It was uh, 115 one. bucks. What is and, what is that uh, drug? I'm, I'm not familiar with. That. I, I think it's a I think it's an anti-cancer. It's used in uh, seniors. Okay. And it went in one year. I think it was last year. It went from 115 to 690 per month, and right now it's sixteen thousand dollars a month. <sighs> yeah. I mean, you know, and it's like. That's um, I was kind of. I, I the mafia wouldn't even do something like that. <laughs> well, they're they're watching. <laughs> I mean, the Russian mafia, you know, skimmed billions off of our uh, Medicare years ago. Well, actually, you know, uh, 
Italian American <laughs> mafia, they're involved in the, in the healthcare fraud schemes as well on a much smaller level. Um, but yeah. they, they, they're, they're starting to get into the sophisticated, you know, white collar crime as well. And that's really kind of one of the things that I've been pounding the table about is when it's somebody from an actual organized crime organization that's involved in these type of white collar crimes, that's when the government does hit them with the hammer. They go after that. But when it's a corporation, I mean, it's like we were talking about before, it's the same thing. Fine, deferred prosecution agreement, promise not to do it again, even though you've done it six times in the past. <laughs> and it, it, it goes back to, you know, your basic platform of uh, against corporate crime. Like maybe tell folks a little bit about what your thoughts, what you'd like to do um, to, to really counter against corporate crime. Yeah, I mean, and I, I think that's, that's a probably a much more difficult fight than oh yeah you know drugs I, I think that if you did a uh, you'd know better than I but I mean if, if you were to interview people about corporate crime I think their eyes glaze over and they they don't really know and you know the FBI only collects statistics on you know nitwits carjacking and you know robbing a bank and such and supposedly it's like about five billion a year in crime and five thousand people are killed. Oh, you no. know, it's a variety of oh, much higher than that. Actually, it's much higher. Well, no, no, no. I mean, it, I, I'm talking about street crime. Oh, but, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's my, I was going to say just even corporate healthcare crime is like five hundred billion. Oh, yeah, yeah, minimum. Yeah, and fifty thousand people. And you know, when people, well, what are you talking about? And it's like, look, we're talking shoddy construction. We're talking about you know vehicles, planes not being made properly and crashing you know, windows blowing out of airplanes, you mm -hmm. know, and, you know, and um, uh, the various tainted meats and ice cream and on and on. And they never go. I, I have an example there. It was like the, the hot dogs of a company. And because they had this huge contract with the military to provide hot dogs, you know, nothing was done to them and 21 people died. Oh, yeah. And, you know, when they saw that their hot dogs were tainted, they just stopped testing. Oh. Yeah, you know, and I mean, yeah. yeah, and nobody goes to jail. You know, nobody in Wall Street went to jail, you know, and mm. it's like, you know, I mean, it's, and that was just, I think that goes to show how we're so third world well, now. I mean, Reagan put over a thousand in jail for the SNL. Yeah, it was actually yeah. cl close to close to about two thousand people um, actually went to prison. We're talking high level mm. operators, even people who were politically entrenched. Yeah, right? McCain. Remember, McCain got embarrassed with that. The five, the, the or Keating five. five, right? Yeah, the Keating five. Yeah, All right. He was the big SNL guy out there in Arizona. Um, you know, for people who aren't familiar, he basically um, had like five different senators essentially on his payroll. Um, and when yeah. the scandal broke out, you know, he was asked if he thought that that money would, uh, would help him out. I'm paraphrasing something. He's like, yeah, it better. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and he, you know, McCain and different, um, you know, politicians, they basically try to intervene with regulators to get him off of his back. But he, again, this is a guy deeply entrenched within the Republican party. He actually had a position on, on Nixon's staff, or at least, or a commission, I should say. But he yeah. went to prison, and again, he only went to prison for a few years in some, you know, federal, you know, you know fairly, Club fairly fed, soft, yeah. right? But the fact is, the guy actually had to go to prison, um, and it's a very different story this time around. And it's, 
I think it has mainly to do with that revolving door, uh, you know, where, again, the public official, you know, he gets to go and make 10 times as much in the private sector, either defending those corporations or even getting jobs directly with them, like with the example of Comey. Um, there's just so much. It's that it's that revolving door. Um, and Obama's um, uh, Eric Holder. Eric Holder, yeah. Oh, his. I mean, staff. he worked directly. Yeah, he worked directly, and he was on the attorneys who work with the the MERS system, the MERS, the yep. electronic real estate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which, Co- Covington which and Burling. Yeah, Covington and yeah. Burling. They were they represented all kinds of corporate criminals. So. Yeah. He, he gets to go in there and make, you know, and still a very good living, like just under 200 grand as the attorney general. But then he gets yeah. to go make four or five million when he goes back to that same corporation that, that defends the corporate criminals. Um, and yeah. it's not just him. It's just a whole a whole array of his staff that, that jumped oh, into the DOJ and then jumped Lanny right Brewer, back. you know, yeah, I mean, you know, it's just, it's like, uh, um, and But you kind of pointed to something that, 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 that you and I, I would say, see directly eye to eye on, because you're mentioning, you know, prison reform, how, you know, the low level, you know, criminal who, say, steals, you know, a hundred bucks from some department store, that person actually goes, goes to jail versus, you know, these, these high level corporate criminals, they don't even, they don't even pretend to send them to jail. Yeah. <laughs> Do you really have um, any thoughts on what you would do as far as the criminal justice system if you were elected? Well, you know, there's I, there's a couple of things. First and foremost, if, if we really even just took the minor step of decriminalization and what, you know, the difference between legalizing and decriminalizing is, that, you know, leave it up to the states. Decriminalize it, and if the state wants to buy into it, fine. If they don't, Fine. It's the same with prostitution, you know, bordellos and things like that. In in Nevada, uh, prostitution is not legal. It's decriminalized. And each county has the right to say, no, you guys are a big problem. Move out. Which is why they're all on, uh, I live in California, but which is why they're on uh, uh, trailers <laughs> on wheels. If they have to move it to a, a different county, that's what they do. Well, right. It, it's I mean, legalized within the county, but decriminalized um, throughout the state, right? Yeah. And so they have a right to say, you know, it, it's like, hey, you're a public nuisance is basically what they say. You're you're jamming up the highway or making too much noise. Right. But at any rate, you know, it, it's, let's say we did, we were able to get rid of the drug war. I mean, 600,000, well, we went under Reagan from 500,000. Uh, prisoners, which is still a bit high for what our population was, but we now have 2.2 million, right. and it's they're sending people just for really literally nothing. And I ran one on my, um, I think I did on my Facebook of a woman who all she did they caught her, and she's doing 20 years. All they did was come back, and she drew a map for these people, and. They said, oh, conspiracy, and she herself took medical marijuana and was, you know, legally involved in the state, you know, sale and such. And it was a map, actually, of how to get from, you know, point A to point B, but it went through a, you know, federal forest. You know, the prosecutor decides to be, you know, a big shot, and he sent her away 
never been in any problem. But, you know, they don't recognize, the feds don't recognize, you know, legal marijuana in, you know, whatever state, California or whatever. So what if you have a, you know, medical license and, you know, and, and it's legal within the state? We don't recognize it. You know, they sent her away for 20 years just for drawing that map, and they said, oh, you drew this map so that you could help these people, you know, get around uh, uh, police checkpoints. Right. And it's like, no, I didn't. You know, but yet it's a federal court, and, you know, they want to play games. It's a, but a lot of career what, prosecutors out there. Just yeah, well, them. you know, he's the next Comey, you know, but... At any rate, you know, or Eric Holder, there's another one. But, you know, it's West Europe has 300 million people. All prisoners they have are 600,000, which is uh, basically the same number of Bizarre. marijuana. Yeah. And, you know, it's, I, I mean, it's, they're just overreaching and sending people in. And it's, it's really almost a tax on a poor family because then they're, um, they're privatizing and Okay, sorry about that little uh, technical difficulties. Um, but Dave, you were you were telling me about your experience working with um, with prisons. Yeah, so it's. Um, I mean, my father was a street cop, and then he was a a prison warden, and then he was basically like uh, a chief magistrate in California. And at any rate, any he, he worked on some you know, prison reforms such as uh, there was no halfway house. And my father was one of the co-founders. I actually at one point had a, I wish I could find it to get a photo. I think there were about six or some odd guys who worked on that in California to start it. And, um, you know, guys were just kicked out of the prison and, uh, you know, with uh, prison cardboard shoes and, and a hundred bucks or whatever. And, told to fend for themselves, and so the recidivism rate was really high. Um, and so, you know, he started this with, they'd have like 90 days and be with a counselor, and they'd have a place free to stay, and, you know, they would then have help getting a driver's license, a job, and they just wouldn't be, you know, totally overwhelmed. And we've, we've gone numerous steps back uh, since prisons are being privatized and, you know, the guards are paid minimum wage and such, and they don't know what the hell they're doing. And prisoners are also, with the privatization, you know, it's profit over anything. And they're not being given their meds because that would add costs to a prison. And the other thing is they have to go to a commissary and buy food. They're just not given enough food or good food. And so that falls again on the family, you know, so poor people are having to cough up couple hundred bucks a month so their father brother sister what have you you know basically doesn't starve and can have a you know a balanced diet um, and just say there was a Norway has the best system but uh, people can look that up and they, they had a special I saw on um, the Norwegian guy came to visit Attica and he was just shocked and it was like he said well you know in Norway the prison guards actually play uh, chess or whatever with the prisoners, you know, they interact. And prisoners are given, you, you know, well-balanced meals, and they actually cook them themselves for like a socialization effect. 
and uh, he was looking at Attica, and, and they were given like a stale bun and a, and literally a stale bun and a and a hot dog. And he said, "That's not enough to live off of." That. So they, they'd show him the commissary, right? You know, he's like just shaking his head. But I mean, you know, we. We've gone from 500,000 to two point under Reagan, 1980 to 2.2, and everybody likes to say we got to get tough on crime, but you know we're not really getting. You know we've gone through all those topics of corporate criminals, and this country is still up for sale from politicians and you know corporate criminals, bankers, etc. So they're not really doing anything except throwing a lot of poor people who who don't have any real attorneys in jail. Right. And, um, you know, they, they don't have a support group when they get out. And so, you know, churches are kind of filling that need. Right. We really don't put much effort into rehabilitation. You know, it's this, this system that really it preys upon the weak. And it, it, I like to give the analogy of essentially like a bully, you know, a, a defendant who yeah, can really yeah. fight back. Most prosecutors, they just they, they hand out that they, they negotiate much tougher with the you know, with the people who really can't fight back, like the example you're talking of the woman who's mildly connected to some conspiracy, some drug conspiracy at best. But meanwhile, the major players, they get the real deals. They're the ones who get the snitch, and you know, they're the ones who actually usually end up getting less time. It's this reverse system, you know, that it's just backwards, basically, really in every way. <laughs> Yeah, like you said that, you know, look at the guys at HSBC, they have them on tape, you know, talking about they actually were involved in a conspiracy, and they're not going for 20 years, but yet a woman, they have nothing but a map, right? you know, That's a perfect in her example. handwriting, and, you know, and she was legally involved in, you know, medical marijuana or, or whichever, I mean, she was legally involved in it. But the, the the prosecutor decides to make a name for himself, and it's like, well, I'm not going to go after, you know, big billionaire bankers or whatever. So yeah, I'll go after this poor woman with two kids. Right. Who would who would basically you know, have I, to bankrupt yeah, herself and in order to properly fight back? Yeah, there are people are bank. Their parents are bankrupting themselves by you know taking a second mortgage on their house to try and defend somebody, and it's just not. And if you go to court. You get an extra eight years. That's the average. But if you actually accept a plea bargain and you find out the guy screwed you and sent you for 10 years when sentencing guideline was three, you cannot go back and ask for a sentence reduction. Right. There's there's an unofficial tax for actually taking your case to trial. Yeah. yeah. I mean, um, I would say we, we, we need more folks like yourself. Um, I, w I really hope I that people, you, say that. Uh, you know, actually representing us as public officials, you know, I probably disagree with you on a few issues and you've got a, a pretty, I wide... disagree with my wife of 40 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I mean, I tell people, Hey, I don't agree 100% with her and she doesn't with me either. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's I, life. I've yet to find a politician who I can agree on everything. Yeah. Um, like I say, you put you put your platform out there, and you're very clear in what you think, which is highly unusual. Yeah, very specific. I, 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 yeah, I, most politicians are just, yeah, they're, they're just wishy-washy. And I, I don't know if people say, yeah, they're wishy-washy, but there's so. like 19 points there. And on what most of what we spoke about, and uh, even my uh, Facebook page, David Moore for Congress, and it's DaveForCongress.org is the 
actual website with the issues and links and stuff. I'll be linking to this, and you know, I have a link on the other one to you. I'm I'm now working on the website again. Okay, so um, yeah, just you know, basically a final note, if you would tell the listeners, you know, how to get in touch or how to follow you. Um, just you know, some some basic info like that. Well, the um, I have a mailing address uh, which is uh, Dave for Congress, which is Box Four Twenty Seven. Salem, South Carolina, 29676. Um, you know, and there are organizations that like to send questionnaire. And uh, Dave for Congress 2018. And you could, I mean, right on the, the Dave for Congress org, there is a contact. You could just click on that and send an email. If they want to send a personal email, they can send it to dkmore2003 at gmail.com. And then, or they can go through the Facebook page to David Moore for, uh, I think it says for U.S. Congress. Okay. Well, fantastic. And I really invite the listeners to check it out. Um, again, this is, this is a, a platform here that I think is truly devoid of financial conflicts of interest, which is really what's ruining Congress. All right. So on that note, okay. I'd say that you know that should wrap up this podcast. Everybody, check out his website. And let's go. Let's go support Dave. You got anything to to add there? No, I don't. But thanks much. Oh. You know, thanks much for. I enjoyed our conversation, and uh, they should check out your books. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I you know I, I read your books, and that that was the primary thing why I contacted you. It was like, yeah, this I like. You know, this. I mean, you know what you're talking about. With, I mean, I, I'm against making. I, I'm all for decriminalizing or legalizing prostitution. But, you know the the sex trade or whatever. Anytime any there anytime there's laws against anything, drug war, prostitution, gambling you have on. Anytime there's there's laws against it, it goes underground and you got nothing but problems and violence and particularly violence against women. Hmm. You know, and uh, you're just absolutely right in, you know, the the three books that you have on, you know, the drug war. I would I would tell people that you really need to read your three books that you're absolutely right on that. It's like prohibition of any kind is I'm just totally opposed to that. Wow. Well, thanks. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. Appreciate that. Wow. Um, all right. So yeah. on that note, I guess we're going to wrap up this episode. It's been a pleasure and uh, thanks so much. We'll talk to you again. Okay. Have a great one. Have a good day. It's a big club and you ain't in it. I am concerned that the size of some of these institutions becomes so large that it does become difficult for us to, um, to prosecute you can have the license. Price is two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, plus a monthly payment of five percent of the gross. Of all four hotels, Mr. Corleone. <laughs>